0: Real quick before we dive into today's show, did you know that on average recruiters take six seconds to scan a resume? No pressure in submitting your application, right? Well, six seconds aside, it's easy to become overwhelmed when it comes to updating your resume, I know, but I've got some good news I can help. I've created a simple resource to support you and trust me when I say this, updating your resume doesn't need to feel daunting. Check out the ResumeRefreshChallenge.com to download your resource today. Again, that's TheResumeRefreshChallenge.com to download your resources today. Hello and welcome to the Own Your Career podcast. If this is your first time listening, you should know that I started this podcast to inspire and motivate ambitious professionals to get into action with all things career. Today, I'm speaking with guest Samantha Rayner, founder of Better Basics Co. One of the things I love most about Sam is her willingness to roll up her sleeves and dive straight into the work. She's been really thoughtful and strategic about how she's navigated her career. And I know you'll enjoy learning from her how she grew it and tips for how you can too. Here's my conversation with Sam. Morning, Sam.
1: Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm just happy to be here. Happy to be chatting with you. It's been a while.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And the last time that we were together was celebrating a mutual friend's birthday or a few mutual friend's birthdays. And you were your brother was babysitting for one of the first times. Yes. How has that gone since? Has he... Has he taken you up on babysitting
1: since? Luckily, our baby, shay he's um, 10 months now, is a really good sleeper. So um, it was very breezy. We put him to bed. He stays asleep. So babysitting is really just watching a movie. Yeah, perfect. And making popcorn. So yeah, it went really well. And (laughs) hopefully there will be much more babysitting in the future.
0: (laughs) We also lean on Josh's siblings. My siblings are in Ontario, but we lean on Josh's brother and his girlfriend all the time. We're like, um, hello, would you like to watch the girls again? We haven't got to the point where it's been like a sleepover or anything. I don't know that that will happen, but you know, a few few nights We have a
1: big family and everyone, I think it does, you truly do need a village to raise kids. Like that is very true. Can't do it alone. So we have Luckily, lots of family and it's big and it's chaotic and it's crazy, but it's also amazing because people kind of can step in and trade off. And we do that as well for my, I have a twin sister and two brothers. So
0: that's um, really nice. There's
1: there's six kid, grandkids right now in our family. That's <laughs> Under awesome.
0: Five. <laughs> Under five. So <laughs> yeah. any party holidays is what we were talking about, embracing the chaos.
1: Yeah. We basically <laughs> need a community hall or an outdoor space. <laughs> like nobody can host in their houses because you know we all live in Vancouver and nobody has like those large playrooms or anything like that yeah (laughs) okay we need to be outside
0: let's go to the park
1: Mm -hmm. so when
0: rainy season hits it might look different
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah lower key (laughs)
0: Well, how you kind of segued into it. One of the questions that I'd like to ask first, to guess, is how you were brought up and your cultural upbringing and just your childhood. So you talked about siblings. Do you want to dive into that a little bit with us?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm I'm from Vancouver originally, but I have a very diverse background. My dad was actually an immigrant and a refugee from Iraq, and he came to Canada in the '70s, and he's an Iraqi Jew. So. Mm-hmm. We have Arab roots, but we also have Jewish roots, which is pretty unique and and different. We're Sephardic, which is different from Ashkenazi. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Obviously, very much influenced my life in terms of food and culture. And I went to Mm -hmm. Hebrew school, and he has an accent, and English is his fifth language. And then he married my mom, who's a local Vancouver woman, who is um, half Mennonite, and then half, half British, Scottish, and First Nations. Wow. So, the combination left me with like uh, very different, diverse family members that I would call upon for different things. Mm-hmm. A huge family. I think I have 24 first cousins. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. They're around the world. That's amazing. Half are in Israel, some are in the US, some are in Canada. Have you met um, everyone? I have met everyone, but my husband hasn't, okay. for example, and some have yeah. not met the baby, but yes. we try to keep very close with the North American relatives The Israel are a little bit harder mm-hmm. to see all the time. That's but yeah, cool. in terms of my upbringing, it was definitely um, embrace the chaos that we were talking about <laughs> earlier. Like our house was always full and busy. In my immediate family, there's four of us mm-hmm. under th- and we were born under three years. So I have an older brother, a twin sister, and a younger brother.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We were all very close in age, obviously. So I have an identical twin sister. That's cool. Yes. There's so many layers. I feel like I could psychoanalyze my life. But my (laughs) sister, (laughs) obviously, we were joined at the hip. So we were, you know, so thick as thieves. We did everything together. We had our own language. Mm -hmm. And then there were the two boys. Yeah. And then that as an upbringing, I would say, like made things very comfortable for me socially. Mm -hmm. So I never remember being afraid or alone or scared Mm. because I always had my buddy and she was always there. Yes. And I think that's probably really a unique thing that only twins could ever experience because most kids go through times in their lives where they're having to like be alone and figure that out. So that I think shaped my future in a major way because social like being out being social having people over super extroverted like that was just always part of my life mm-hmm. and i went to a few different schools and i went to many different i was in many different programs and sports and things like that so i ended up with a big big village of people here in vancouver that i mm-hmm. know and love that's amazing and it makes it so hard to leave i don't think i ever will <laughs> Vancouver and the people in Vancouver have my heart.
0: (laughs) Yes. And so with your sister, do you guys do you both have any like synergies in your career paths or anything like that, too?
1: Very different. I like to say so when we do like Myers-Briggs, we're both I think ENTJ, like we both are essentially the same type of person. but We're very different in our differences. So she has chosen finance and hedge funds as okay. a career, for example. Yeah. When I did my MBA and going into finance was the last thing I ever wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I just did not feel comfortable. I didn't feel like myself in that environment. Mm-hmm. And so that would I say is like the distinction between us, but we're both, you know, have similar skill sets that we probably play similar similar roles in the organizations in which we work. But mm. I was always leaning towards creative. I was always leaning towards, honestly, I was the one that was like breaking the rules. I was (laughs) the one that was instigating things when we were growing up. I was happy to be front and center, but then, you know, fumbling along the way where she was a little more like conservative and she would like be a little more cautious, but take her time and then do it really well. Yes. Uh, So that would be our distinction. And I think as I think about my career path like that. Has led like my values has really led me in what I've decided to do, where I decided to work, and even to starting Better Basics, which an environmental or sustainable business. You have to be somewhat of an activist at heart. Mm -hmm. And when I think about that, I'm like, yeah, I did always. I never liked rules. I always wanted to break (laughs) them. I did. I wanted to stir the pot a bit. Like I wanted to kind of poke the bear. And that's, I think you need that a little bit. A to be an entrepreneur, but B to to be an entrepreneur in that space where you're needing to challenge the norm yes, and challenge other organizations, the way things are being done and even challenge um, people to think differently about what they've been consuming or how they've been living their lives. Mm
0: -hmm. So when you decided to, or what inspired you to do your MBA to do business school?
1: Yeah. My undergrad was in arts. I went to McGill. Mm -hmm. So I had ended up with a BA in sociology as a major and a minor in psychology and economics. Mm -hmm. And I really did not know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted something creative. I knew the environment and the people I wanted to work with, but I didn't know the job. Mm -hmm. I ended up in advertising. So my first job out of school was to work as like an you know, as a coordinator in an advertising agency. And I really, really liked it. How did that come up? I think I was just searching job boards as you do and Mm -hmm. just applying to various things. that sounded interesting to me. And I had an inkling that marketing might be a good fit. Okay, Knowing that communications, aesthetic, appeal, those things were things I had strengths in, as well as knowing that I I was not a fine artist. Like I'm not (laughs) a painter. I knew that was not the path. I was a more of like a business-minded project manager type person. I wanted to create things, but I, I wanted to work with creative people. Yes. In a creative industry. God. So I think that's how that came to be. And then I was there for three years. I was I had a great career experience there. I had a wonderful mentor, my boss. I still talk with her today. She oh, is that's awesome. incredible. She taught me so much and she just believed in me so much. And so I grew through that company to be their kind of account manager mm-hmm. And I wanted to move in-house into, I decided I wanted to work for a brand mm-hmm. because I wanted to shape more than just the advertising communications aspect of marketing. I wanted to be part of the decision-making on a product launch and which markets we should enter and you know some uh. of those things that are more upstream. Yes. And when I started looking for jobs, it was in 2008- When there's a massive global recession, and yeah, right, yeah, yeah, it was 2009. I'm just trying to picture, think of my timeline. It might have been 2009 for me, but just after, and then I just didn't find any good career options. And I thought, you know, I should level up. I don't have a marketing, you know, distinction on my resume. Mm -hmm. Like this would help me. And and I also felt at the time, it's a challenge. Like, I want to challenge myself. I want to see if I can achieve this. I want to see if I can, you know, just for myself, like, have this on, you know, as something I've done. Yes. As something I, I know I can do. And also as a woman and as a young woman, there weren't many, like, there still aren't many in the NBA programs today. Mm-hmm. And so that in itself was, a, especially from a, what they would call a soft skills background. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there you know, people yeah, communication right. skills is not necessarily the thing that's valued. It's like finance and engineering, yes. is a little more than like structured thinking. And so, okay, I'm going to challenge myself in this environment and see if I can do it. Mm-hmm. So that led me to UBC to the Sauder School where I did my MBA in marketing and sustainability and strategy.
0: And it sounds like you had a really good experience in that program too.
1: I did. I loved it. It was a small group. It was different from my undergrad in that we it was very practical and very hands-on. So a lot of case studies, pitching to real businesses, taking real business problems. And I did find as well that some of my skill sets lend lent them themselves, mm-hmm. <laughs> lent themselves well to that. So mm-hmm. maybe I didn't have the math background or the science background, but some of those marketing skills and how to present and how to determine what the key kind of messages or the key problem and just communicate that really clearly to people actually went a long way, even in the accounting course.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. What in that program, what did you learn most about yourself?
1: (laughs) Day one of the program, I walked in the room and I felt so intimidated. Mm -hmm. I felt young. I felt insecure as a woman. I felt insecure about my career path. You know, there's people who were, in their 40s, a lot of people with like engineering, you know, pretty successful careers Mm -hmm. that were making a career shift into becoming a manager of a bigger company. And that's why they're doing, right? So I was young and I remember the teacher asked me on day one, I think it was accounting class, a math problem. And I was so intimidated and flustered. I couldn't answer it. And my response was, I don't have my calculator. I can't tell you. Yes. And he was, he said, I chose those numbers so you don't need your calculator. And I just felt so mortified Uh. and humiliated. And by the end of that semester. I did that accounting exam. Yes. And I got the best mark in the class. And the teacher, (laughs) the teacher, it's all by your student number, right? So he never knew it was me. And I went up to him at the very end. And I was like, guess who got the like 96 or whatever it was. (laughs) was It was me. (laughs) 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 Just a little achiever in you. I just felt finally like, okay, get out of your head. Yeah, You can do this. Also, don't judge a book by its cover, like, Mm -hmm. I was the only one we would have these MBA class, big group meetings, and I'd be the only one in a pink dress, everyone would be in a black suit, and I'm like, I'm going in my pink dress, like, I'm just doing it, so I think for me, the big thing, and it transfers through my career, and I know one of your questions is career advice for younger people, Yeah, just like, I think you need to know who you are and own it, Mm -hmm. and know that you can do whatever you want to do well, but in your way, Mm -hmm like just, just embrace your style and approach. And with that, you can still achieve all the things, even if it might be things that you never thought you could do. Mm -hmm. Like for me, accounting wouldn't have been what I would stereotypically expect myself to be good at.
0: Yes. So in speaking about figuring out like who you are and embracing it and going on the lines of advice for people is like, how do they figure that out? Because I, I think, I don't know, I can, I, I, think about it for myself, but I also think about it for people messaging me about maybe I don't know what it is that what I want to do, or I don't know what my strengths are and things like that. What advice would you have around figuring that out for yourself?
1: Yeah, I I think it takes a lot of like Mm -hmm. self-reflection, but also trusted friends and advisors and people in your life who can help eliminate some things for you. So when I, I think back at another career moment that stands out where I I learned about myself was I started at Lululemon mm-hmm. and I had worked for a very, it was a, in the a beauty company, but it was like a little more stereotypical in the approach of communications and professionalism and everything was very like the emails were very um, like a standard formal letter. <laughs> and your communication with your colleagues was never about What happens outside of work? And Mm -hmm. then I started leading people that way at Lululemon and I got some hard feedback. Like people just didn't want to be around that.
0: Mm -hmm. Because you were were acting in that structured.
1: Yeah. Okay. I wasn't being myself. I wasn't actually shedding a layer, being vulnerable. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so that I think you learn who you are through sometimes like testing different things and trying things right. and seeing when they don't work. Yes, for, you. for sure. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I'm actually very silly. I'm actually not that formal at all in my life yeah. in the way that I conduct myself with my friends and family. Why am I doing this in the work environment? Like that's so inauthentic to who I am. Mm-hmm. So then I started to kind of test it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just this is, this is me. Like bumps and bruises and all. Yes. And if you like me,
0: great. If you
1: don't... And it worked better. Yeah. And I I finally made really good friends and I think I became a better leader and people wanted to work with me and projects were more successful because I built better cross-functional relationships. And I also just took a minute to get to know other people.
0: Yeah. That's so so important. That went a long way. And
1: those things they don't really teach you in business school it's more just like real life experiences. And, and as you're learning who you are getting to know other people and how they respond to you, and then seeing how you respond to things. That's the way you know what your values are. Like, mm-hmm. they always say to figure out your values, like think about the times where you're most stressed out, or you feel like anxious, or you have a strong response to something. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, then that, that's something going on there, right? It's and then tapping you tapping like, on
0: something that's important to you.
1: Right. Yeah. So that's for me, as I reflect back on these moments, like I do, I recall certain things so distinctly. Okay. Clearly that was an important defining moment for me. And it tells me uh, about a value that I have.
0: And so did that draw you to Lululemon then? Like when we're thinking about your values? Yeah. And um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Like how you transitioned into the one company that was like more structured and had more of like a, the stereotypical like business environment and then going into something that had a completely different culture, especially at the time probably that you joined that organization versus like now I feel like there are a lot of organizations who embrace the like lightness that like yeah. obviously business still being important and we still have sales to make and all of those things, but that like more fun culture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And vulnerable leadership yes, and all that. It's embraced more. Yeah. So, how did I, people, especially younger people, always ask me how I got my foot in the door at Lululemon? And I, okay. I literally did get my dream job. Like I was the marketing mm. manager for women's product at Lululemon <laughs> in Universe. In my undergraduate degree, I obviously knew Lululemon from Vancouver. And I'm talking back in like 2002, I would have said Lululemon would have been a dream place to work even before they were so successful and so big Mm -hmm. because I danced. I loved that yoga culture. I always was aligned with the product and aligned with the mission. So that was part of it. Mm -hmm. Like knowing for me, I always wanted to work for a company that I would use the product. I could promote it. I could feel connected to it. So Mm -hmm. there was like the product alignment there was the people alignment because i would walk into the stores and i would feel like yeah these are my people i love the bubbliness i love the enthusiasm mm-hmm. i love the extroverted and the like high energy i was like yes i feel all that getting into lululemon was a whole other thing so <laughs> in terms of like following your values as an example i had finished my mba and there's a lot of like recruitment that comes through some of those masters programs that that's great and one of them was with Procter & Gamble. And so I went through this very lengthy interview process with Procter & Gamble, including like an aptitude and IQ test and wow. um, behavioral interviews and flew me out to Toronto five times. Wow. Anyway, got the job mm-hmm. and it was to work in the suburbs of Toronto and sell a and and it just, something about it didn't feel right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I had also, if I'm being honest, just met my now husband. Yes. <laughs> and that wasn't a part of the equation. Yeah. He lived in Vancouver, but it didn't feel right. Like I was in the office. It just, again, the gray suits. Oh, you just took, like, did
0: you take the job?
1: No. Oh, okay. So I declined that job. Yes. I ended up working in the beauty company here in Vancouver. Okay. Knowing that just like, it was not my scene. It was not my culture. And that Lululemon was the goal. That was the goal for me. Did
0: that feel risky at the time when you're like, I'm going to decline this role?
1: It was a huge salary. There obviously was a lot of credibility that come with Mm -hmm. Procter & Gamble. And sometimes I still wonder, I'm like, where would I be now if I had that? Mm -hmm. I may have a bigger career. I may have more international recognition, but I just don't think I would have been happy. Like Mm -hmm. I could just picture myself- who knows? I would be like chain smoking and drinking whiskey in like <laughs> a high rise in Hong Kong in my power suit. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I just knew I'm like West Coast. I want to run on the seawall in the morning. Mm-hmm. I do like, I used to have run on ones at Lululemon. I love that. <laughs> I, you know, I did my yoga teacher training. I got into Lululemon because I, that was like in the vision and I started attending every event. Mm-hmm. That they hosted. I met everyone that I could meet. Mm-hmm. I ended up meeting um, the director of marketing there through kind of friends of friends. We ha- started going for coffees. We became friends. And then when the role opened, she actually directly reached out to me. So people ask me how to, and like, it was a three-year process to get that job at Lululemon. Yes. I knew I wanted it from the second I, in, and I interviewed even when I graduated from my MBA, but it wasn't the right role. I didn't have the right skills. Didn't, fit the build. So yeah, it took me that time to build out the resume as well as I think just understand who I am and present what they were looking for um, Mm -hmm. for a role like that.
0: Oh, I love so much of what you're sharing right now and around there's so much strategy being into how you got to where you are. Um, I mean, we haven't even talked about it all yet, but just like leading up to like that point, like how much strategy and thoughtfulness you put into how you grew your career and realizing when you needed to add to your resume and the piece around like not assuming that things are going to happen right away. It's like, no, I actually had to wait three years. And then even before that, these are some other things that I was doing to really plump up my resume and get those experiences under my belt So that I could show them that I am the best candidate for the role, both as a person, but also from an experience standpoint.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the power of having that vision, like knowing where you're going. And then, and also knowing, yeah, I guess the steps required to get there. But yeah, I do think you, I mean... You graduate from your undergraduate degree, you're so excited, Mm -hmm. you put four years into this education and then you have these like big hopes of having these big jobs, and that's not the reality. You have no work experience. You Mm -hmm. have to start at the bottom. Yes. People aren't really gonna take a bet on you, usually, unless you've got some lucky foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Generally it's hard work and it's like, you know, picking little things off until you slowly climb up to get to a point where you are the desirable candidate. Yes. I always say to people looking for jobs, I'm like, read the job description really well and then like highlight what you have and highlight what you don't yes. have. And then like that will tell you what you need.
0: hundred percent. That's exactly what I do for on the interview. I'm like, you're creating your development plan, this is how you do it. Look at with the job that you want. Exactly that. Highlight yeah. all that. The, the
1: information's all there. Yes. Like, yeah, I've got this, I've got this. Oh, I don't, I have never led people. Okay. I better become a manager first. Yes. Oh, I've never run a million dollar marketing campaign myself. Okay. I better do that first.
0: Yeah. So good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, Throughout your career, I know we haven't got into talking about your other things yet, but throughout your career, holistically, what has been one of your biggest failures that you've had?
1: I, when I think about successes and failures, it always comes to the people stuff. It never comes mm-hmm. to the work, okay. which is also, I think, a strong value trait for me. And something took me a while to like learn that or figure that out. So failure for me was when my ego started to control My sense of satisfaction in the workplace. So I was in kind of the same role for a long time and I just wasn't getting recognized and feeling like, oh, I should be moving up. I should be doing more. I should be getting more Mm -hmm. instead of focusing on the work that I had and doing a really good job at the work that I and the people I was managing at that time. Mm -hmm. So then it showed up as a bit of an attitude problem, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, just not feeling enthusiastic feeling overwhelmed, high levels of stress, just not enjoying work every day. And I think a lot of that was an internal thing. Some of it was like lack of resources and a really big workload. Mm -hmm. But also some of it was me not taking accountability for the work that I had to do internally and just being a little more uh, satisfied with what I had and then just communicating what I need.
0: What what was the moment that you realized that you were in this little cycle I guess or...
1: later I left okay she left that job yeah you were like I, nope yeah.
0: this isn't for me I'm not moving in yeah. the trajectory I got a, and... a new
1: manager didn't mesh with her it yeah. was like nope I'm leaving yeah and then reflecting back was like mm, I probably could have made that work way better for me and for the organization yeah don't regret anything now but I just think in terms of learning in Yes, self-learning like that. Yes, and I, I see it creep up a I was lot. Also, ask that, yeah, yeah. When I'm managing people, there's a lot of like hunger, which is great. It's good to have that drive and wanting, you know, especially when you're working with high achievers, mm-hmm. who you want to work with, because yeah. usually they are doing great things and they're pushing themselves and they're creating and all that th- stuff. That, but with that comes like the the dark side, which is. <laughs> Recognition and mm-hmm. you know accomplishments and salary and role and titles and I think all of that is ego. Mm-hmm. Like the only one argument you could have is maybe with salary and like a living standard, but yes, but generally where I'm working in with the people I'm working with, you're 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 doing fine. It's like, is that extra ten percent really going to change your happiness?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's such a good point. It's the more, 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 or like the doing that makes it feel like there's progression when it could actually be like, you're just on the treadmill and you're not actually getting that 10% more isn't actually going to push you into the next thing.
1: No. And will it actually leave you happy and satisfied at the end of the day as Mm -hmm. well? Like, okay, you want to be the boss. Great. Um, Just getting the role of the boss, is that going to actually add enjoyment to your life. No, like you now you actually need to form relationships with people. You yeah. need to form alliances. You need to create a structure for your work environment so you can get things done in a in a really efficient way but is also effective and it, you, oh, there's so much work to be done. Yes. Rather than focusing on the title, like, just focus on the work. If you do the work, you get the title. Yes. That's, yes. right. Yes. Like
0: And so if you ever like feel like that creeping in, what do you do to remind yourself?
1: It's a really good question. It still creeps in all the time, even with starting my own business. Mm -hmm. Like literally a week ago, I'm like, oh gosh, should I be? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I could be VP marketing now. Like maybe I should do that. And I just, (laughs) I think it's going to always be there. Like... (laughs) I think it's going to be there in my life yes. even. Oh, my house. Could I? Should I get a bigger house? No. You don't need a bigger house. What are you doing? Yes. I think it's just like grounding myself mm-hmm. for me. And, and grounding myself is like being in nature, mm-hmm. spending time with my loved ones, doing something creative, doing something physical, mm-hmm. just like getting out of the kind of the rat race of what I can create for myself. It's not that anyone else is creating it for me. It's just this like internal mm-hmm. ego drive
0: you have so many celebrations and what is your like favorite one because I uh, for me I know when I get in that that rat race feeling mentality it's like okay remind myself what I'm grateful for and the things that I can celebrate that maybe I haven't because I'm so focused on like what is the next thing that needs to be done so tell us what is your greatest celebration
1: in my life in my career
0: we'll say within your career
1: I'm so, I'm not very good at doing this either, I think. (laughs) It
0: doesn't need to be.
1: I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm most proud of seeing in my last career when I I was with Sage and I left in 2019 and I was managing a team of four Mm -hmm. and seeing them take their careers to the next level. Like every single one of those people ended up either getting promoted and taking some of the workload that I had or ending up going off and starting their own businesses and going, every single one was just thriving. And I think I feel most grateful for my time with them, but also just fulfilled that that could be I could be somehow contributing or part of that yeah. career trajectory for them. And when I think about better basics and starting a business, like that for me is actually a big part of the driving factor besides obviously the mission of eliminating plastic, it's the people. Mm -hmm. Like, can I create a business where people like that really smart, really ambitious, really charismatic, really caring, really creative people could come together and work together to move this thing forward? Oh my gosh, what a dream. Like if I could, I picture my vision. It's like this boardroom table of these like six creative, smart leaders sitting around and like coming up with brilliant ideas. And I get to just like Kind of pave the path or open the doors and let them let them run with it.
0: Very cool. That's a good segue into how did that all come to be with Better Basics
1: launching my own business. Uh, it was something I always knew I wanted to do. I think it's just again when I look at my interests and myself, I always wanted to create. I always wanted to be a leader. I didn't take well to authority ever. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just the truth. I didn't like to be told what to do. I just knew I wanted to do my own kind of create my own path. Yes. And then on a personal note, my parents both passed away in 2015 and 2016. And through that experience and through those conversations, I just felt compelled to do more with my life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the things I knew I felt I could do and be good at and make some sort of impact was like take my business, take my marketing skills and like apply it in an industry that I feel like was making kind of some a positive change. And both my parents really inspired me because when I think about Better Basics, my dad was in finance, but he was a very strong business leader. Mm -hmm. My mom was a landscape architect and very driven by sustainability and preserving nature and preserving, yeah, like the local environment. And we grew up in a household that was very, very conscious, Mm -hmm. like eating organic and composting. And I didn't even realize at the time that that was something that was like her values that she instilled in us. Yes. So... With Better Basics, I think it's honestly like a bit of a tribute to them Uh, and wanting to take, yeah, loss and turn it into like creation and turn it into future and fuel my energy towards something that I felt like was really making a positive impact out there. Yeah,
0: that's so beautiful. I didn't know that was like the impetus. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, my dad was looking like before he passed away, he's looking at, he's like, I'm gonna buy a company, you're gonna run it, we're gonna do it together. Yeah. Like, okay, great, yeah. Like I'm on board and we even met with some people and then we're just not the right timing yeah. for that. So yeah, we're like, I'm I'm slowly executing some vision that we like had created a little bit together even.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Uh I know that they are looking down and so proud of everything that you're doing.
1: I hope so. I wish I wish they were here to advise me. Yeah.
0: Well, they are. Maybe, maybe <laughs> sit still yeah. and listen. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's so true. So wise. Yeah.
0: Can you share with us a little bit about... So when I had read one of the articles that you had been interviewed for, you were talking about a little bit green marketing. Can you share with yeah. us more about that specifically? And then how does that obviously come to be with Better Basics as well.
1: When I was in my MBA, I was interested in sustainability in business, but from like a communications and from a product design perspective. And at the time when I graduated, I I applied to some roles. And what I found was sustainability was much more of like an operational and even almost engineering and science led aspect of a business. So they were just looking for like GHG emission reductions and how can someone like recreate that? Like, oh, that is <laughs> not my skill set. But what I can do is come up with like ways that an organization can build it into like the conversation and mm-hmm. make it part of what you do. And, and I just didn't find roles like that existed at the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it come full circle when I wanted to launch my own business, I knew I wanted it to be mission based. I knew I love consumer products. I am a consumer myself. Like I like, you know, I've been interested in fashion. I've been interested in culture and art. And so like, how can we take those things and apply them to a product line and in an industry that is actually making some sort of impact? And when we looked at my business partner and I, what we're actually consuming on our day-to-day basis as busy women, Mm -hmm. as moms, we would just see the plastic filling up our recycling bins and knowing that a lot doesn't actually get recycled mm-hmm. only 9% actually, if you put it in the recycling bin, only 9% actually I didn't know that. gets it. Yeah. The rest ends up in a landfill or incinerated. Yeah. The whole concept of recycling is a, a, honestly a bit of a, a false hope. Mm-hmm. It's not the solution to the problem. We actually need to change our consumption and move away from plastic. Right. Plastic just does not biodegrade. You put it in the earth. Mm-hmm. It lasts Forever, mm-hmm. like forever, which is wild if you think about. Like your toothbrush from high school is still out there. Yeah, that's insane. So it's just it, when you think, and then I was in the beauty industry, and I was in consumer products and wellness, and I was, I've seen how much packaging's out. So I was mm-hmm. like, I feel like that is just like as a mission, something we can focus on. We can use our skills, and sustainability needs to be created from within, within the product line, within the company. It needs to be part of the conversations every day. It's not just like a function that you add into an organization to try and solve a problem. Yes.
0: Yeah. It actually, it needs to exist within every single department and every single position description.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the business model. Yes. Like I just saw it at Sage, we were looking at some stuff and it just like it, you would hit a wall if it didn't make business sense to make these changes, but the changes are the right changes for the environment, but the wrong changes for the business. So it has to be very like built into the business model Mm -hmm. from the beginning.
0: Yeah. And so what can people do every day in their jobs or in their organization? What are some of the even small things that they can be doing to help support just creating and being conscious of the impact that we're having on our environment and the world and everything? whether you're in consumer packaged goods or not.
1: Yeah, or anything. Yeah. I mean, I think it just takes like one extra step of doing a little bit of research sometimes. Mm-hmm. So like if you're purchasing any goods or if you're eliminating any goods, and that could even be as simple as like you're responsible for the shared common spaces in the office. Mm-hmm. Just taking like an extra moment to do a little bit of research into what where things are made, what they're made out of and what that kind of like end of life cycle looks like as well. Mm -hmm. And then for, I mean, I think for in an organization, it's probably similar to as an individual, it's just like taking one thing at a time, small problem and tackling it. But like all those little small problems can eventually add up. Mm -hmm. So it can become really overwhelming when you think about the bigger picture of sustainability and wanting to, how do we reduce emissions and how do we reduce this global warming and the planet temperature rising We're like, ah, but if we're just looking at like, Hey, what I'm consuming, what I'm producing, what I'm creating, how I'm, how we're operating our business or how I'm living my life, slight adjustments to that can make a big, big difference.
0: Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. We're nearing the Mm -hmm. end and I wanted to take us through or take you through a lightning round. So I just have about six or seven questions I want to run you through. And then okay. at the end, I'd love for you to share just a little bit more about Better Basics and where people can find you and follow along and purchase products and all that kind of stuff.
1: Awesome. Okay.
0: So first one, business podcast or book you're listening to or reading right now?
1: I listen to How I Built This by Guy Raz yes. pretty regularly. Yes. I love it. Me too. And then I, I get the McKinsey Daily newsletter, which is, I just love the articles in there. Okay.
0: Awesome. And that comes by email. It's free. And it's
1: free. Yeah. Perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Do you experience Sunday scaries?
1: Yes. Of course. <laughs> what oh do you God. do? How
0: do you deal with it?
1: Oh, usually I'm, I, I'm so over So we just try to like Sunday is like be at home, make a nourishing meal mm-hmm. and go to bed early day.
0: Yes. What's your go-to Sunday
1: meal? Something comforting, like mashed potatoes and a roast chicken. Yeah. yeah or like pasta. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Okay. What is an interview question candidates must always be prepared for?
1: What's your vision? Where are you going? Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. And what's the weirdest interview question that you've ever been
1: asked? I feel like there's like personal things like, what bands do you like? hmm <laughs> Or what I remember interviewing with like a fashion brand and it was like, what are the cool designers? Oh, gosh.
0: And you're like, does this have anything to do with if I can do a good job or not? I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. I was like, okay, I guess we're just trying to see if I'm I, I'm in the know with fashion, but still, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny.
0: Your top tip for standing out in the job market.
1: I think it goes back to everything we're talking about, which is just, like, knowing who you are, mm-hmm. knowing what your values are, and communicating that so that you're telling a distinct story with your resume. And I also think resumes just get so boring. I think being just a little bit creative with that, mm-hmm. like, display your values or show some of your work and just make it very easy for someone to interpret, like, what you're about. Yes. I also always, I'm in marketing, but for me, I always look at people's social media mm-hmm. And I wouldn't discourage them from like hiding their social media in any sense. I think it's fine to have like a personal life. Like I want to know and I just want to know how you present and communicate yourself because that's a reflection of marketing work as well. So if you want to work in marketing, yes. then, like, you should look at your social media and make sure it's you're presenting your work in a sense there or create a channel that you can present your work because I think it's a really easy to, way to have like a portfolio essentially. Yeah,
0: that's really smart. And if you're gonna be doing it for our company, how are yeah, how are you doing it for yourself first? Yeah. 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 I think that's smart. Where can people find you online and learn more about Better Basics?
1: So Better Basics is www.betterbasics.co.co. And it's on we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, we're on Twitter, at Basics Co., all one word. Mm-hmm. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Instagram, at Samantha R. Rayner reach out. I love meeting new people. I love coffee dates. I love baby dates. I have to do baby working meetings or baby coffee dates. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love connecting to people. So feel free to reach out.
0: And final question. What is the number one action everyone listening can take to own their career?
1: To owning your career. I think you need to know, I mean, I feel like a broken record, but I just think you need to know who you are and where you're going. Yes. And work on that. It's not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's it is work. But figure it out and then the rest will come. Mm-hmm. And it will come a lot easier if you can be authentic to who you are and um, you go after a career that you're actually passionate and interested in. Yeah.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank
0: you so much, Sam.
1: Thank you. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah,
0: so many juicy nuggets in there.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. My whole whole life story lots to chat <laughs> about. Appreciate you. Aww. I'm humbled to be invited. And, oh my gosh. yeah, I'm just excited with everything that you are up to as well. You're going to help so many people find their dream careers. Aww, so, thank you. Yeah.
0: I couldn't agree more with Sam that so much of growing your career is knowing what you want and following your values, creating the time and giving yourself the space to reflect and really think about what it is you want. Without ego, without the pressure of others in your life, what is it that you want to do and what is it that you want to create for you? If you're waiting for permission, consider this it. This is your sign to go follow those secret goals and your hidden dreams. Before we go, I have a small favor. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, please share your feedback by rating and reviewing the podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next week.